The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to wealthwatchwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Joey, if you're looking for one reason to listen to this episode, it's usdebtclock.org. Oh, yes. Go there right now if you want to throw up in your own mouth. Um, I mean, we're talking the U.S. debt has risen from $5 trillion in 1995 to over $33 trillion today. Now, why would that be important, though, Russ? Well, if you're at all worried about our currency, the U.S. dollar being around to be able to buy the things like houses, cars, boats, uh, vacations, uh, little Johnny's you know, tuition at college, whatever it is, we need that U.S. dollar to still be worth something. And every second you see those dollars just being worked less and less and less. And since 1971, that's been the case, right? Since we went off the gold standard, and gold is what we're going to be talking about today. Dana Simonson is our guest. He's going to be sharing with us not only where uh, we should own it, uh, how much we should own, but also where we can store it. And unless we all want to get out our checkbooks, because US.org or USDebtClock.org says right now that we can write a $259,000 check and we can eliminate the debt. If we don't want to do that stallion, I think this is our answer is that we need to understand better about how these assets can protect us. I mean, if all the foreign currencies or foreign nations out there are buying gold or net buyers of gold, maybe we should consider it too. What do you think? I think you're right. And I think we don't hold anything back from this episode. Let's dive in right now with Dana Samuelson. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth of that Wall Street tribe, you are in for a treat. The gold standard with Mr. Dana Samuelson. Dana, so glad to have you here with us today. Joey, it's my pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Dana, there's very few people that actually know that at one point in time in our country's history, it was illegal to own gold. Would you mind sharing that story? Because I think that will really set the tone for why we're having this conversation. Sure, Russ, of course. So gold has been money and currency since man's ancient times, all the way until the 1930s. Virtually every country around the world issued gold, money, coins as currency. And when we got into our financial trouble in the late 20s with our stock market crash and then the depression, Franklin Delano Roosevelt recalled the U.S. gold coinage and substituted paper for it and made gold illegal to own in the United States. And that pretty much ended gold as money around the world by the late 30s, then World War II came, and that was the end of gold as money. 
Now, after World War II, the U.S. had the biggest gold reserves of any country. We were unscathed primarily by the war, and we needed to have a different monetary system. So the dollar became the world's reserve currency backed by gold. And it was said that we would never print more paper money than we had equivalent ounces of gold to back it in Fort Knox. And that was the case until the late 60s and early 70s when financial imbalances pushed Richard Nixon to make the dollar pegged to gold to break that. And following that peg where the dollar is no longer backed by gold, my mentor, James U. Blanchard III, Jim Blanchard, realized that gold should be re-legalized to own for gold ownership in the United States. And he led that champion cause and got gold re-legalized in 1974 as a result. So from 1933 to 1974, you could not own physical gold in the United States, where every other country in the world never had that law. Now, since then, we've seen our debt explode. We've seen the gold price you know, track our debt basically higher. It's sound money. It's really what gold is because it's hard to print a lot of gold. It's easy to print paper money. And I think that that's the crux to the conversation, right? Is that that we have had such a standard for what currency and money looks like for so long. And it in the 70s was taking off of that standard where dollars were being printed without it being backed by something. So the definition of inflation. I know we'll talk a little bit about how gold is the hedge against inflation. Inflation is nothing more than the uh, increase in supply of the, the money supply, right? The government printing money is the definition of what inflation is. And we we feel the results of that as prices get higher, but we have more dollars out there chasing fewer goods. That's just supply and demand economics happening where we see prices starting to increase. So talk a little bit about some of these things like how it does act as that hedge against inflation, how you can transfer this. Because, I, you know, I mean, Joey wears some larger pants. I mean, my pants are a lot tighter than his. Even with his big pockets, I still don't see him carrying money around a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about the hedge of how it hedges against inflation, but also its portability. Well, gold, gold is primarily the, the world's currency of last resort. And it tends to climb a wall of worry in price. Uh, in the 70s, when we had rampant inflation, high interest rates, economic problems, and geopolitical problems, gold went from about $50 an ounce to $850 an ounce in a 10-year period. So it climbed that wall of worry quite well. When the economies of the world were stable and the geopolitical situation was, was calm in the 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s, gold channeled between three and five hundred dollars an ounce for most of that time and nobody really cared about it that much following the 9-11 attack on the u.s us going to war in uh, afghanistan and then iraq and our deficit spending followed by the great financial crisis our debt exploded and the gold price moved sharply higher so gold tends to climb a wall of worry that's really what the hedge is against financial uncertainty. And it does this because it has no counterparty risk. Gold is one of the only assets in the world that you can hold that is not simultaneously someone else's liability. And it's instantly liquid. And it's the world's most trusted 
form of money. It's literally liquid anywhere in the world in recognized forms. To you know? explain that, so if, if I own gold right now, gold bars, is it, I mean, I, I think of the the pawn, uh, pawn shops that said we buy gold as the place at which I would liquidate it, but my, you know, my skeptical nature, knowing that I used to follow my dad to the pawn shop to pawn his guns and, you know, rifles off in order to get cash because his contracting business was struggling. I don't see them. <laughs> they're a source of liquidity, but also see them as eh, maybe they're a little more, you know, cash sharks out there. Right? Maybe right. I get the best deal. Where's the liquidity? How do I sell it instantly? Well, you want to deal with reputable dealers. That's really where you're going to get the strongest bid. You know, if you go to a pawn shop or some secondary market maker, you're going to get 70, 80 cents on the dollar to what you could get at a reputable precious metals dealer. And we have thousands of them here in the United States. Now, around the world, most banks have traditionally had a precious metals desk as part of the bank. They have them in Germany. They have them in France. They have them in Asia. Well, as I said, we don't we don't have a gold culture in this country like most of the rest of the world does because our currency has never failed. We haven't had war on our shores. My brother helped me get my start in this business. His first job in 1974 was going to a Vietnamese relocation camp in Arkansas and buying gold from people who were fleeing Vietnam at the end of the war who literally had gold sewn into their clothes. That's how they carried it out of the country. And it was immediately liquid to a professional dealer at that point in time. That's how those people got started. So gold is true, portable, transferable wealth. And reputable buyers will pay the prevailing price for it as long as it's in recognizable, tradable form. You've alluded to this a couple of times, but Talk about your history with gold. Like it's, it sounds like it's been a part of your life for quite some time. And uh, we, we want to gain from that knowledge. Well, I got out of college in 1980, which was just like getting out of college in 2009. I had a German degree. I was completely unhirable and I got hired to work in a vault, counting, shipping and weighing physical gold and silver. My brother ended up getting me that job because I could be trusted. And then I ended up getting a better offer working for Jim Blanchard as a vintage coin appraiser. And I moved up the ladder with his company and I became his buyer and then his senior buyer. And I got to spend millions of Jim's uh, money in the 80s buying from the trade because we were our business model was to buy from the trade and sell to the public. So I got to know all the industry players during my formative years. And it's 40 years later, some of my friends you know, run mint distributorships today that buy directly from the U.S. Mint or the Royal Canadian Mint. But I've always loved the fact that gold is finite in supply and the amount of people in the world just keeps getting bigger and bigger. That's why it tends to work in price over time. It's much, it's similar to real estate that way. There's, you know, you can't make land, more land easily unless you're, you know, building a new uh, island in the South Pacific Sea and you're the Chinese government. That's really the only way you can make more land easily. So, Gold and silver, we don't, like I said, we don't have a gold culture, but there is a, a many more people are understand gold and silver today because of the great financial crisis. And now because of the COVID debt explosion that we've had, we have more potential buyers in the U.S. than we've ever had before because of the financial uncertainty created by the debt problems that we have. And, you know, quite frankly, the, the asset bubbles that the Fed has blown up by keeping interest rates at zero for so long. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept 
to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system. Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher's saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared though for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30 second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Yeah, the amount of debt that we have is definitely a reason why gold should be on our minds because as it continues to grow over 33 trillion right now, it per, it, it gives us a situation where we may see some default in our treasuries and do our um, our currency as a whole and having that portability, being able to transfer it is a big thing. I, I want to try to get this down to bite size for mostly me, but for the person listening to you right now who, who's trying to like apply this into their situation, they're trying to become financially free. They're trying to buy assets to produce more passive income than they have monthly expenses. They're also trying to figure out where's the best place to be building their warehouse of wealth. They, they, largely have been putting a lot of money in cash value life insurance, but they're also knowing that there's other things like gold, precious metal, uh, other precious metals that they need to be considering. So could we maybe break this down into say like, you know, what about should we own? Uh, what are different ways we can own it? Uh, where should we store it? So maybe if we start with what amount should we own, what would you tell uh, me listening? Well, let's, let's put this into perspective first, just for a second. In 1995, we had $5 trillion worth of debt. It took us 200 years to get to $5 trillion. Now it's 2023, not quite 30 years later, 28 years later, and our debt is $33 trillion. It's almost sevenfold what it was 28 years ago. And the gold price has tracked that debt higher specifically since about 2000. It's up about 600%. So that's really the reason you should consider owning some gold because the dollar is going to continue to lose purchasing power. That's really what gold is for. It's a savings account. So I recommend what the World Gold Council suggests, which is you should have six to eight percent of your net assets in precious metals. So I consider gold and silver to be precious metals. Six to eight percent is the sweet spot where you have enough of gold and silver so if there are financial problems like there were in 2008 and the gold price more than doubles over three years while every other asset is dropping 100%, you have a counterbalance against financial uncertainty. At 6 to 8% is the sweet spot where you have enough to have a significant hedge against financial uncertainty, but you're not denying yourself opportunity in other investment segments. So you got pretty you segments, you have plenty of deployable capital in other places. It's the sweet spot. Now, the what is I recommend you own physical gold, if you want to have physical gold, in sovereign minted, government-made coins, either U.S. gold and silver eagles, Canadian gold and silver maple leaves, Austrian gold and silver philharmonics. These are major national mints that make these exacting specifics in physical metal, one-ounce coins for gold and silver. 
it was ice cream, but they'd be vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. It's that simple. I am a physical gold dealer, so that's what I understand. If you want to own gold on paper, you can own exchange-traded funds. Uh, GLD and SLV are two funds that uh, are very popular with investors. But this is more of a way to own gold and silver on paper to harness the price movement. It's not getting your dollars out of the financial system and putting them into something else that is outside of the dollar. It's really a way to trade uh, gold and silver price movement on paper. The other way you can own gold is through mining stocks, which is where you invest in the companies that actually mine gold out of the ground. Then you have to be a good analyst or have a good analyst working for you because there's variables that the physical metal doesn't have and the ETFs don't have, which is the company that's mining the gold, what country is it located in, is there geopolitical risk, how good are the deposits, how tough is it to get it out of the ground. You you have to be an expert on the company and the deposit to do that well, and that's a very speculative area. That's uh, potentially a little, a little bit more profitable, but there is much more risk. So physical gold, ETFs, and mining stocks are their traditional ways to do it. Now, physical gold and silver, someone has to make it. They have to be have exacting standards. It has to be shipped. It has to be sold and profit earned. So the financial transaction friction is wider than on paper uh, ETFs or on mining share buying and selling. So if you're going to buy physical or silver gold, silver, gold or silver physical, it's not a trading vehicle. It's a savings vehicle is how you should look at it. Right. Because the buy sell spread on a physical ounce of gold is three to 4%. And on a physical ounce of silver, it's two to $3. That's how much the market has to move for you to break even to reclaim the premium you're going to pay for manufacturing distribution and profit to whoever you deal with. Well, I'll tell you, Dana, I appreciate you breaking down the possible ways. I know uh, in in the future, I'll let you just tell me earmuffs before you start, you know, (laughs) throwing out uh, obscenities like that, uh, that Wall Street jargon you were just throwing out with ETFs. Uh, (laughs) But uh, regardless, it sounds like there's a lot of benefits to the physical gold ownership. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, just the next logical question in my mind is having something physical means I have to have some way to store it in, and in order to then be able to, to trade it for value at some point in the future. What, uh, what are the ways in which people do that? And what do you recommend as maybe like the best, the best form of that? Well, as I said, I like the sovereign minted one ounce gold and silver coins instead of bars that are made by private refineries. And the, the primary reason is the design elements of the coins that are struck by sovereign mints are very intricate and designs on bars tend to be plain. And we do have a modest but growing problem with Chinese counterfeits, but they're mostly passing off bars uh, more readily than they can pass off the sovereign minted coins because of the design specifications of the coins. So the physicals, you should stick with the sovereign minted products and forget about the bars. I think you'll have much more liquidity, ease of sellability with the sovereign minted coins. Now in gold, it doesn't take up much room. You can have a lot of value in a small space. A hundred ounces of gold physically is about the size of a paperback novel. And at today's gold price, that's about $200,000 
a value. You'd literally put it in your pocket, carry it around. It weighs about eight pounds. And no one would know that you had $200,000 worth of gold on you. It's that easy. So it's small and it's compact. It's easy to store because of that. It doesn't take up much room. I don't re recommend safe deposit boxes. We used to, but bank charters are sometimes specifically excluding precious metals or coins from their bank charters. And you don't want to have your metal in the safe deposit box if something happens in the bank and you can't get it when you want to. So the rule of thumb is you should be able to have it somewhere safe where you can sleep at night, but also have access to it. In my old home, I had a home in-ground safe put in when I had a rehab done. And it was literally built into the foundation of the house, poured with cement, with a false cabinet, uh, cabinet built above it with a false bottom. Um, so that's one way you can, you can store at home. Gold is easy to do that with and hide it in a nook or a cranny because it doesn't take up that much room. Now, silver, it takes about 85 parts of silver to equal one equivalent dollar part in gold today. So with silver, you have a much larger problem in, in terms of physical size. So an ounce of gold equals 85 ounces of silver. If you had $200,000 worth of silver, you'd need you know, four or five really strong guys and a couple wheelbarrows to move it around. So we do recommend independent storage facilities. There's four or five around the country that we know and believe in and trust that are privately run. They're like safe deposit box facilities, only they're privately run by professional managers with high uh, uh, caliber security systems where you can store your metal if you'd like to store your metal independently somewhere. Uh, so those, those are options, but that involves shipping back and forth. Now we have accounts with some of these storage facilities. So if you want to buy and sell, it's simply a shelf swap where they take the metal off of our shelf and put it out of yours when you pay us or give it back to us when we pay you for yours. So it's not as complicated as it sounds, but you really don't want to have it in a safe deposit box. You do want to have it somewhere where you have access to it, but you also want it to be somewhere safe. So it, it takes a little bit of creative thinking, but most people are creative that way. Most people are creative. I'm, <laughs> I'm not certain um, that, that we're that creative. That's why we brought you on to help us understand where to store it. Because I hear Robert Kiyosaki talking about how he has been buying gold since 1971, and he's got it stored all over the world. <laughs> and I, I'm always like fascinated by where where is that? And also, what why is he doing it the way he's doing it? And we were talking about this before, and you you were kind of sharing a story. I, I'd love it if you don't mind kind of talking about what uh, what you've uh, come to find out and learn about what Robert's doing. Um, and how he's applying gold into his uh, strategy. Well, I was lucky enough to work for Jim Blanchard, who was the man that understood in 1971 when we went off the, the gold standard and the dollar was depegged from an ounce of gold, that the dollar would lose purchasing power. And if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's what Robert's Rich Dad taught him in 1971 as well. So Robert bought his first Krugerrand in 1972 uh, for $50 an ounce at that time. And he's been saving his real estate profits, not in dollars, but in gold ever since. He's a stacker. And I never thought I'd meet somebody like Jim Blanchard, uh, who died in 1999, until I met Robert Kiyosaki in 2016. Uh, they both lived, as I like to today, 
a, in a personal gold standard where they don't trust the dollar. They don't trust the government to manage its finances well. And they, our government has, and most other governments around the country, around the world haven't. So he likes to have his holdings, his, his assets that are not in real estate uh, or prop uh, real estate, excuse me, in precious metals. And I don't ask Robert where he stores it. <laughs> it's not my business, right? But I do know that he says he has it in different places around the world. Well, I, I, I don't know if I agree with you, Dave. I mean, our government has proven to be such a great steward of money. Uh, I, I'm not certain I can agree with you on that. Uh, I, I'm sorry, that's just sarcastic <laughs> behavior coming from this side of the, the, the microphone. But I, I really appreciate you being willing to come on. And, and this is, there's a lot of noise in financial markets. There's a lot of noise around gold. And I love the idea of having you come on to give us just some really, some frameworks to be thinking about it. Even just the six to 8% of your portfolio needing to be in a precious metal like that, that to me gives me some way to, to kind of cut through the noise and uh, just appreciate you being willing to, to come on today and share that with our listeners. Uh, Russ, any, any other questions for Dana before we wrap up today? No, Dave, I, I think this was a very, you know, practical, tactical, straight to the point kind of podcast where we could give the meat is uh, to this subject that's really big. And I, I would prefer for people who are really interested in this to come and to know that you are the expert, where would you tell them to go? Well, our website uh, at www.amergold.com, amergold.com, it has a wealth of information on it. We have live precious metals spot pricing that change minute by minute. We have uh, competitive pricing on all our modern bullion items. I'm also a vintage uh, European and U.S. gold coin expert. So we do have an inventory of European and U U.S. vintage coins uh, for sale. That's a, that's a little bit different market because there's some collector value there. Uh, that may not be appropriate for people that just want to own metal for metal's sake, but we carry the most competitively priced and widely traded and immediately liquid bullion items. I don't have 2,000 different SKUs on our website. We deal in the bread and butter items that most people are going to want to own that are going to be easy for them to sell if they want to take it anywhere for sale in the world. So that's what we specialize in, bread and butter products that are good for our clients, because what's good for our clients is good for our business. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, Tribe, you got uh, a lesson in gold today. I hope that you took some notes. If not, uh, go back, re-listen to it, share it with somebody else who's been telling you about the need for precious metals in their life. And as Dana said, if you want more information, go to his website, www.amer gold.com as always have an amazing day this has been the wealth without wall street podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the wall street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry see you next episode